The story of the birth of Jesus, at least the nativity account, begins in terror and shock. Normalcy is suspended and an angel appears. Uh, his message is somewhat confusing. A baby is coming from God. Mary is perplexed. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. That's the first word she's recorded as saying. How will this be? Mary seems to be a woman of few words, according to the narrative. In fact, only three things are recorded from Mary's mouth in telling the story of the birth of Jesus. Mary considers the words she has heard. What did the angel say? Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God." When you hear that kind of a message, you recognize we're not in normal time anymore. Nothing makes sense. And if you think about the words of the angel, you'll recognize that no request has been made. Did you notice the angel doesn't ask Mary? Would you mind if we, you know, there, there isn't any of that? What is it about Mary that allows God to presume on her in this manner? I mean, consider the possibilities based on your own experience. You probably have people like this in your life. I have some in mind. There are some people I simply know that I have permission to presume on them. I, can, I know that I can presume on them. My father-in-law was one such man, Richard Cove. Um, he would just do absolutely anything I asked or needed. And he made that very clear from the time I was engaged to his daughter. He was in my corner always and in every way. And over the years, that friendship deepened and our respect and admiration for one another grew until the point eventually, many years after Nancy and I were married, we had Nancy and I attended a service in a camp. And at that camp, there was a fundraiser there who was raising the annual pledges for the camp. And he was taking pledges from the congregation. And I felt that God was putting a number in my mind that was more than I could afford. But I really felt that the Spirit was leading me to pledge this amount of money to the camp. And as I prayed about that in that service, I felt like my father-in-law, who never missed camp, but was not, was not present that morning, would have wanted to make a pledge too. 
And so I pledged for me and I pledged for him. That's probably the definition of presuming on someone. But I knew him well enough to know that it would be right, that this really would be the expression of his heart. And I was a little concerned that the amount that the Lord had put in my mind was more than I could afford to give. And then when I told Richard about what I had done, he smiled and paid both our pledges. There's something rich about being able to have a relationship with someone where you know you can presume on them. We had folks in this church recently say to the family of the bereaved, we'll help you with the funeral costs. And they knew there would be friends who would help this family with the funeral costs. Or, or we'll help you with the down payment on that home. There is a breed of people on whom you can presume, and your presumption is based on several things. Your common commitments, your common experience, your current relationship, the character of your friends. I think you have an intuitive sense about the people you can presume upon. Somehow by their words and actions, they have given you permission to ask them, to, to rely on them. These, these are special people. Sometimes you can presume on your parents because of the level of investment they've already made in you. Not everyone can. Life is richer when there are people you can presume upon. And I wonder, are you a person that certain others can presume upon? This is somehow the way the kingdom of God is knitted together by our ability to be present for one another and to allow one another to presume on us in times of need. In this story, Mary somehow has responded to God in a way that allows God to presume on her. Isn't that a rich thing to consider? The character of their relationship before this point was such that God already knew she would embrace this opportunity. And Mary answers the angel, even though she hasn't been asked. Mary answers the angel, I am the Lord's servant, verse 38. May your word to me be fulfilled confirmation. And then Mary leaves. She goes to see Elizabeth, who's already been a part of the angel's communication to her. We don't know exactly how much time has elapsed. The Gospels aren't trying to give us every detail of the story, but at some point, Mary travels to cousin Elizabeth's house for a period of time. We don't know why. Was this maybe to allow time for the scandal of the pregnancy to simmer down? I mean, she didn't stay long enough for the baby to be born out of town, so it doesn't quite make sense that she left to avoid scandal. It may just be that Mary's parents didn't want to see her for a little while till the shock wore off. We, we don't know. We don't have any idea. We can imagine if we put ourselves into those parents' shoes what that might be like. We just don't know. 
But as I think about it, there must have been some fascinating conversations between Mary and Elizabeth, these two women who are probably separated in age for probably 40 years, both of them experiencing pregnancy for the first time, anticipating what is to come. You know, I've never, I've never really been privileged to be in those conversations where women talk about childbirth. You know, obviously I don't understand. And the thought that I would pretend to would be offensive. And so they're having that kind of a conversation. That, that, that's what this story is about, them, them sharing what that's like. But, but when Mary first gets there, as she's greeting the house, there's a very unusual encounter. Mary enters the house, greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's baby, the man who will be John the Baptist someday, leaps in her womb. And Elizabeth says some things to Mary that are really important. These are Elizabeth's words now. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. If this happens upon Mary's greeting to the house, it seems unlikely to me that Mary would have had any chance to explain to Elizabeth what was actually going on before she arrived in that place. I mean, who would have believed Mary anyway outside of Mary and the angel? And who would Mary trust to deliver the intricacies of the angel's announcements to her relative at a distance? I believe strongly that these words of Elizabeth, this confirmation of Mary's situation by Elizabeth, is something that is revealed to Elizabeth by the Holy Spirit. And Mary reacts to this confirmation in very emotional terms because Elizabeth's confirmation matters. I mean, think about Mary's situation for a little bit. For days after the angel appears, she must have been wondering if she had been dreaming. I mean, when you have such unusual experiences like that, don't you think, did that really happen or was I imagining that? Was that, did, did that angel really appear to me? What, was that a, a, a daydream? What, what, what was that? Nothing like that has ever happened before. I don't have a category to think about that. I can't file that away under things I've seen before. This is, this is new. And then at some point, probably not immediately, she recognizes that she's pregnant. And does she automatically believe everything the angel has said at that moment? Or does she, like any young teen, begin to wonder if there are alternate ways of getting pregnant? Remember, she's a young teen, right? Can you get pregnant by shaking hands with a man? I mean, how much does Mary know? about all of this. Perhaps she dares to believe what the angel said to her. Perhaps she's pondering all of the crazy things that have happened to her in recent days. 
But along comes Elizabeth, wonderful cousin Elizabeth, with her words of confirmation, and Mary is convinced. Every doubt fades away, and she is now prepared to worship. I think, I think Elizabeth unleashes something in Mary that perhaps wasn't present before, and praise bursts forth from Mary's heart. This is verse 46 now of Luke 1. And Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on with favor the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants, forever. Mary worships. Mary praises God because he has chosen a very lowly person to be his servant. Let's face it, any human being chosen by God is a lowly person. Regardless of the pecking order we've established in our society, regardless of our power or wealth or fame or any of those things, compared to the infinite majestic God, we are all lowly creatures. But Mary recognizes she's lowlier than most. She's at the bottom of the ladder. Mary knows her station. She is very low, very poor, naturally and appropriately humble. And she is amazed that she has been chosen. This choosing tells us something about the God doing the choosing. He really does love all of us and grants his favor to us based on his love for all of us, not based on any human achievement or position or heredity or any other thing. And Mary recognizes the honor she is being given. Prophecy is sometimes a matter of announcing the coming of some unexpected turn of events. But this statement of Mary's, this statement that says that she will be called blessed by future generations, really is not prophecy at all. It's a matter of stating the obvious. In spite of difficulties, in spite of the embarrassment, in spite of the inconvenience, any person so used by God, well, that person is going to be regarded as blessed. And it's not, it's not just Mary who is blessed to be used by God. This is true of all the saints. When we discover that God has used us, when it is possible for God to use us in a situation, and we know that God is using us, isn't that an amazing blessing? Don't you, don't you feel blessed when you're in a situation where you know that God has given you the opportunity to bless someone else and that the God of the universe is using you to accomplish his purpose? I mean, that is the definition 
of blessing to me. To be used by God, blessing is your status. We should all long to be used by God. What a great privilege we have to be used by the master of the universe according to his purpose. And Mary knows that she will be considered blessed forever because of her obedience to the Father. Mary also realizes, and this is deeply woven into her hymn of praise, that this child is going to be the way God keeps his promise to Israel, and not just to Israel, to humanity at large. God is a promise keeper kind of God, reliable, true to his word, worthy of praise. He's promised to to redeem all that was lost. He's promised to restore the years the locusts have eaten. He has promised to allow springs to spring up in the desert. He's promised to send the Messiah. And this child will be the fulfillment of his promises. And so Mary praises him, recognizing that the God who has promised is the one who keeps his promises, not just to her, not just to Israel, but to all of us. He is utterly reliable. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Right? That was the prophecy of Isaiah. And Mary recognizes the fulfillment of that in the coming of this little child of hers. And yet there's something that we need to learn from the exchange between Mary and Elizabeth as well. I think there's something really significant when we take the time to name the work of God we see in others. You know, as, as sons and daughters of God, as members together in the kingdom of God, I think it's important for us to, when we see God at work in the life of one of our brothers and sisters, to call it for what it is. To say to that person, you know, I saw, I saw this happen in you, and I believe God was working through you in that situation. There's a confirmation that happens in times like that that helps us and encourages us to do more of that. Because you, well, we know that there are times when we do things that we're not completely certain of. You know, we, we sort of feel like we should do this and we do it, and we may not see the result or we may not see the impact, but the Holy Spirit sort of moved us or nudged us and we responded as, as best as we understood but, you know, we're not, we're not sure. But if someone else, another brother and sister in Christ, sees the action, sees how it unfolds, sees the impact of it, and they come back to us and say, you know, I noticed this, and I really believe God was using you in that situation because it had some of these effects. That confirmation means something to us because it helps us discern that God was really speaking in that situation. And I think it's a practice we should embrace more in the church, where we see the work of God in others and we name it for what it is to confirm the work of God, because that builds all of our confidence. And we are a team. We are doing this together. We are hoping all of us to be used by God. And so when we confirm this in one another, when the Spirit leads us to do that, we should seize on that opportunity. It will inspire confidence. Articulate the times 
you see God keep his promise through the lives of others that are around us. Your expressions of faith may inspire faith in others. I guess the last thing I would say today is that I would encourage you to be a person, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your friends can presume upon, and be a person that God can presume upon. I do believe that being used by God is the definition of what it means to be blessed. When you think back on this, you know it's true. Whenever anybody says to you, God really used you to help me, is there any better feeling than that? that that's, that's how we're woven together into the kingdom of God. It's our joy this morning to consider the fact that the coming of Christ means the kingdom of God is present among us. It has already begun and it is growing and expanding until the day of his return. And so we give God praise that he's blessed us, that he's come for us, that his name is Emmanuel and that we are his. May the humble Christ of Christmas be your example day by day. And may your lives reflect his glory now and always. Amen.